0: You're listening to the Leadership Jam Session podcast, the place where you'll get to hear leaders at all levels of management share their practical solutions to the management challenge you face every day. So let's get ready to jam. I'm your host, Rob Fonte. Welcome back to Leadership Jam Session. If you're listening for the first time, my name is Rob Fonte. I'm a leadership development consultant and coach with more than 20 years experience in leading teams. For more information about me or how you can subscribe to the show, please visit my website at leadershipjamsession.com. Now enough about me, let's get to today's guest. Bill Kiefer, President and Chief Advisor of Kiefer & Associates, an advisory firm focused on optimizing talent capabilities for individuals and organizations. Prior to opening up his firm, Bill spent 20 years working in a variety of roles associated with human resources, such as organizational development and global talent management roles. And one of Bill's last roles was working for an organization in the auto industry as the Vice President of Human Resources. Bill, welcome to the Leadership Jam Session.
1: Oh, good morning, thank you, it's great to be here.
0: Well, it's great having you on, and I am looking forward to jamming with you and tapping into your vast experience in, in HR. So are you ready to jam?
1: I'm ready to jam.
0: All right. Now, a few years ago, you were asked to do a TED Talk, and the title of your TED Talk was Investing in the Middle. So maybe you can share with our listeners what that means.
1: Oh, I'd be glad to. Yeah, in 2017, I was honored to be invited to present at TEDx Toledo. And the topic of that uh, talk was investing in the middle. And it's a topic I've been interested in for years uh, because I've worked, lived, and tried to operate and be successful in the middle of organizations my entire professional life. So the, the, the topic is, or the talk really is about life, leadership, and success in the middle. And a couple of the premises is, you know, we have to understand that while individuals and organizations all have definitions of success, we all define success differently. And we all, whether we be, uh, acknowledge it or not, we all seek balance as individuals and organizationally, and it's important that leaders recognize all those different definitions and take actions to achieve appropriate levels of balance for the organization and for the people. In the talk, I talk about how we might get to achieving that balance, and I use the uh, forces that impact flight. A couple of buddies of mine years ago were aviators, and they like to talk about aviation things, as uh, you might expect, and they had introduced me to the concept of lift and thrust and weight and drag, and it really, I thought, applied to creating a great environment for success and balance. So that's, that's kind of the, the basis. Um, we go on from there to talk about how people in positions of authority, uh, leaders, if you will, um, can go about creating lift and thrust, those positive forces that cause an aircraft to move forward and move up, and how sometimes the things they do or allow to happen create weight and drag and hold people and the organization back and down. So understanding all that, I then bring up three ideas that people in positions of authority, leaders, can attend to to try to achieve success and balance. The first one is position, and that's understanding that you do have a position of authority, and that comes with certain rights and responsibilities, and it's incumbent upon those folks to use that position wisely. The second is to understand how important priorities are and how making sure that those priorities are clear and consistent can positively impact lift and thrust, positively impact success of the people in the organization. And the final piece, I'll argue, maybe the most uh, important one is that leaders, people in positions of authority simply need to pay attention. They need to pay attention to the people they need to pay attention to the organization, the business circumstance, if you will. They need to pay attention to how all the different definitions of success commingle, And they need to pay attention to the load that's going on, not just for the capacity of the equipment, but for the capacity of the people involved in the organization. It was a great honor to do that TED Talk. It was a scary thing, uh, but I'm really glad I did it.
0: And I love your three Keys to success, position, priority, and pay attention. I, I do think those are are critical for any leader to have if they want to be a successful leader. And uh, I'm curious, because I know you have a an incredible amount of experience in, in talent management. Is this something that that was formulated over the years as you worked with leaders in the talent management process?
1: It really is. Much of it came from working in the talent management process and just general leadership. I've had a fairly broad career. I've been fortunate, but a lot of it came through um, the talent management work that I've done.
0: So I, I want to dive into a little bit of of the talent management process, because when I look back over, my, over the years and The talent management process, and and I think there's two schools of thought out there where this talent management process sometimes seems to be this mysterious, uh, perhaps a secret society. And and we can tell you where you stand on the talent management map, but we'd have to kill you type of thing. And, you know, I I kind of visualize where there's this this secret back room where these meetings happen and it's like maybe a little bit of voodoo magic or you never really know how it's formulated. Uh, and, and again, I think there's two schools of thought. Sometimes you know, you have organizations that are very transparent, while others keep it kind of locked down and a secret. I do remember one time I, I had a critical to retain employee. We were doing this mapping process and I had an employee that was critical to retain to my team, to the organization. And, and one of my HR colleagues uh, told me, well, you can't share that with your employee. And I sat back and I was like, Huh? Well, why not? I mean, I know if, if if I was them, I would love to hear that. So I just want to get your take on this, on this whole talent management approach.
1: That's a great point. There's always this balance between privacy and transparency, and what I've found to be most successful is you have process transparency where people understand all the related kibbles and bits about how we do talent management, how we do performance management, succession management, succession planning, career planning, career pathing. So people understand the process. It gives them confidence that there is some methodology out there and it's not just voodoo magic, but. Similar to how we do performance appraisals, you know, it's not public knowledge what somebody got as a performance review. We don't share that publicly. We respect their privacy. I found that keeping that same mentality for succession planning, especially, who is our high potentials? So I call it uh, process transparency, personal privacy. And that's that's the balance you always have to discuss. Just like performance management, you discuss the person's performance with them, areas where they've done well, areas where they need some improvement, some ways to improve. I think that kind of an approach relative to much of the other talent management tasks, succession planning, especially, i would I would offer. um if you take that similar kind of approach, say, here's where we see you today. Here's where we think some options are in the future. And maybe that might be stay right where you are. Maybe we see you as the next CEO or anything in between. But having the same kind of mentality as you do with a performance appraisal really does help. Now we ran into some cultural issues. Some of the Eastern Asian com- uh, countries that we dealt with were very strong about yeah you, know, you cannot share you know who's on the high potential list because while you might make you know eight to ten percent of the population feel great, the other ninety percent are going to feel horrible because they haven't made the list other organizations we worked with some european folks that were like how dare you you have no validity in um, judging our performance or our potential so you got to be mindful of that if you're in a global environment and i will suggest even if you're a small company uh, and if you're blessed to work with a diverse workforce, you got to be attentive to how people are going to respond in your organization.
0: How did you do it? How did you approach it? Because I know you've had a lot of success uh, with this and the organizations that, that you worked.
1: Overall, relative to talent management, our goal was to keep it simple. So many times the various processes related to the overall talent management spectrum become administrative bureaucratic burdens. And it takes the focus away from what you're really trying to achieve. This is where the paying attention comes in. Pay attention to the impact that what you're doing has on the organization. We then set up a real thorough communication process through our HR teams and our leadership teams to say, this is what we're trying to achieve, and this is the manner by which we're going to do it. Process transparency. It also helped to get priority out there. So people understood this is important. I partnered everywhere I was with the senior leader in the organization to really understand whether this was a priority or not. I was very fortunate uh, in, in the vast majority of the cases I've dealt with; it was a priority at the top level. And that priority wasn't just a set of words on paper. It wasn't some beautiful flyer hanging on the wall somewhere. It was demonstrated by the regular and frequent involvement of me with the senior leadership team and the coverage of not just the process, but the progress in the process and recognition of those that were making good progress and accountability for those that perhaps needed a nudge.
0: So it was a talent planning process, but with that in tandem is then the development plan that goes along with it.
1: Absolutely. Because it's not... uh, I don't believe it's truly value-added if you're to just say, here's who I believe next up is, and you leave it there. Well, next up for what? And if we say, for example, um, Sally is next up to be the global head of sales, is Sally ready right now? Can she move in and be successful, have a high likelihood of being successful in that role? Or is there something that needs to be developed? Is there a little gap we need to deal with? In all cases, rarely is is someone truly ready, fully ready right now. It's where might they land, have a high probability of success in that landing place. What are the gaps in that bridge to get there? And then what's the plan? What are we going to do? Those top few things, those prioritized items that we paid attention to, to get Sally closer to readiness to take on the mantle of that new role. And there's another piece at the end of it, and that's follow-up. Having the plan is one thing, executing it as yet something else, and following up on that execution, an after action review, perhaps even something simple. Um, did it happen, and was it effective? Did it do what we intended it to do? And then, of course, the, the cycle starts over again with what's next. What do we develop next?
0: If you had a look back and reflect back, where do you think the biggest
1: Breakdown is? The most impactful breakdown is if the senior leader doesn't truly believe this is a priority. I've seen many cases where subordinate leaders, you know, maybe second, third, fourth level reports really get it. And they understand that they have to develop their folks and they understand they have to have a pool of qualified people in the pipeline. But you know what, maybe the CEO, the top level leader, whatever the title is, says, you know, we have too many other burning bridges that we have to deal with first. We have to get out of today's crisis. But let's fast forward and say the CEO is in and truly is in, understands it values and puts in place actions to make it work. Then we find the breakdown at the second and third levels occasionally where the CEO says, yeah, this is great. We need to do it. And we're going to have a recurring cadence of a clear prioritized process to make sure that growing and developing our talent capability is a core part of how we work. Then all of a sudden you get to a second or third tier report who has multiple burning fires, who may not be a tremendously experienced leader in the broad terms, who chooses to prioritize his or her efforts on things other than talent. Because while it's important, it's not urgent. I gotta keep the revenue flowing, I gotta keep production going and talent for the future, you know, whatever, we'll get there. When that happens, if the senior leader, him or herself and his appropriate talent staff aren't paying attention, now all of a sudden a great transparent process starts to go awry.
0: What you're saying is is definitely ringing true. And there's probably a majority of us that work for organizations where this becomes uh, an annual event or a semi-annual event and, and you'll have senior right. leadership all of a sudden get on the platform and talk about how important it is and then you never hear them talk about it again until the next cycle. It's
1: kind of like strategic planning. Right.
0: Yes, exactly. <laughs> now, have you been a part of any of your organizations that you worked in where it was different? It wasn't the, the check the box where senior leadership was much more involved. And did you see a a, a difference when that happened?
1: I have been. I've been uh, really blessed. A couple of the organizations, big organizations I've worked with the, uh, The the CEO took this seriously. And this is where position plays in. Going back to the TED talk, that senior leader understood the position and played that position well, not just in terms of creating revenue, minimizing costs, and creating shareholder value. He understood in both of these cases, they understood that they had to have the talent capability to do it. So not only did they understand it, they then took action and put in practices that reinforced that understanding and reinforced the process with the relevant subordinate leaders. Every month, in both cases, every month, I was with the CEO and his direct reports talking about agreed critical bits of talent management. What are our key positions? What's the status of the incumbent? When do we believe it's going to be open? Who's our next up? Are they truly next up? When are they going to be ready? If they're going to be ready right away, who's their backfill? And we did a trickle down there. And if they're not ready yet, what are the gaps? What are we doing to fill them? And what's the activity against that plan every month? Really? Now we didn't try and yeah every month, we didn't try and solve world peace here. I mean, we weren't trying to do the whole organization. We targeted in most cases one one case it was the top fifty positions, um, the other case it was the top one hundred positions. The number of positions is more relevant to the size of the organization, but we knew we couldn't do everything, so we had to try to prioritize where we believe, quite frankly, where investors would would matter, where they would care. No investor, I think, is going to care if the talent management guy is gone, but they might care if that huge plant manager that's responsible for critical parts to the auto industry, they might care if that position's gone. So it wasn't always just the most senior roles. It's those roles that we believe had the most potential impact on the current and future business objectives we're trying to hit.
0: Did you see a trickle-down effect because of that throughout your leadership levels?
1: I did. I'll have to admit, in many organizations, that's an area for improvement. People go where the fire is. And if you can have positive reinforcement and regular attention, you can overcome some of the problems. It's some folks pick it up right away and they go, you know what, this is important. And for the operation of my business unit, my organizational function, my plant, whatever it is, they go, I know I've got to have a pipeline of great talent ready to go. There are always some folks, as I said earlier, there's other burning platforms that they're trying to deal with. And they don't necessarily view the creation and growth of talent capability as a learning platform. So then you got to think back to things like uh, who is it? John Kotter leading change. First step is create the urgency. We created some urgency for him.
0: How did you do that?
1: We brought him into the monthly meeting. Ah. Not as a punitive thing, but says, hey, look, this is important to the senior leadership team. These are the questions that were being asked because these are the questions we're trying to answer. This is the capability we're trying to build. And here's the business case on why we're trying to build that capability. I, I, I got to give credit to the folks, the, the people in the positions of authority. They all did it in a very positive, very value-adding way. None of it was punitive. It was simply a matter of providing priority, clarity. This is what we're doing and why, and consistency. We do it regularly. Some folks took that up easier than others.
0: I think you bring up a great point, what you just described, making sure that it's not punitive. That helps to change. You know, our beliefs are based on our experience. What you're talking about is is changing the culture too, but providing them with experiences that might change their beliefs altogether in a positive way.
1: Absolutely. You know, if you try to hammer somebody on this or any other topic, you're going to get compliance, but you're not going to get commitment. So we're very purposeful in not doing that. Say, this is important, and here's why. Now, some of the discussions might get spirited, but it's not punitive. This is a business priority for all of us. Let's make sure we understand the priorities. And this is the process by which we do it. And these are the things we're going to check on on a consistent recurring basis. So part of your job. You know, One of the things that uh, always has interested me is how oftentimes people in positions of authority kind of delegate or staff out the creation of talent capability. They'll staff out leadership. Like, how do you do that? It's such a foreign concept to me. You know, if you're in the seat, you're the leader. Go be a leader.
0: Oh, so you mean in terms of staff out, like instead of them having the discussions with their employees, they have others do it. Is that right?
1: For example, hey, HR guy, HR lady, go handle this talent management stuff. I don't have time for it. I'm, I'm doing real work. I'm sure you've seen that, haven't Uh you? Yeah. Yeah. So that act alone tells the recipient of that message that this isn't a priority to the person in the position of authority. It immediately relegates it to at least a second-tier priority for everybody else.
0: Well, and you know what? There's so many engagement surveys out there that speak to the simple fact of an engagement Uh question that, from the employee's perspective, does somebody – care about my personal development. So that alone ties into employee development. And you're right, if your leader doesn't show in any way that they're invested in your development, that's certainly going to impact the engagement of that employee.
1: Oh, absolutely. And you know, the point I was making about staffing it out doesn't mean that people in positions of authority shouldn't leverage the expertise of their HR and talent management. They certainly should but they need to be out there in the front of it saying, hey, look, we care about you as an individual. We care about the long-term success of the organization. And we understand that it's really talent and talent capability that makes this work. For me, this is like taking that people are our most important asset cliche and taking it from words on a wall to action and a vibrant, vital part of the culture.
0: You bring up a great point because whether you're a new leader, and it's probably more if you're a new leader, but let's be honest, there's several leaders out there that if they've never been properly guided, do struggle with the development aspect of their employee. There are resources out there, as you mentioned, and your HR colleagues Certainly are a great place to start that can certainly help you and guide you along the way, because I hear it all the time from a lot of my clients. You know, what does development mean? What does that what does that look like? If you don't have a lot of experience in it, it can be somewhat vague and and nebulous on how to approach it.
1: One of the marks of great leaders are they find people with the skills uh, they, they surround themselves with great talent. Right. Let's go back to my three P's if they're in the position. While they may not be a technical expert, they know how to find people and properly work with experts in those areas to go make things happen. If they're paying attention to the organization, they'll understand that it's critical for them to make this a priority. It's critical that they're clear about what we're trying to achieve. It's critical that they consistently act in a manner that supports the priority. One of the ways that I found it most uh, effective for any of this kind of work is to be able to tie it back to the business. What's the business objective we're trying to achieve overall today, oftentimes in terms of current performance or performance review, you know, if I have goals that are tied to nothing obvious, you know, go out and produce X many things per hour on a consistent date, whatever. Well, that's great. And I'll do that because I have a certain level of personal motivation. But if I know that I have a, that supports a larger goal that creates more commitment. Well, it works the same for uh, talent management and development of future capability. If I know that the business uh, plan is to uh, grow 10% through non-organic growth, if I know what that means relative to my job as a business development vice president, as a product engineering manager, and you know, pick a title, if I can make a connection to that longer term goal, I can then start thinking about what do I need to know and be able to do to be ready for tomorrow when that happens? I, it's part and parcel to leadership responsibility in my mind. Whether it's the CEO, the division head, the department manager, um, staff folks like HR, that's part and parcel to our leadership responsibility to the organization and to the people.
0: Completely agree. That's well said. Leaders, great leaders, see the potential in others that they themselves don't see. and And it is up to that leader to be able to tap into that potential or to help grow it and foster it and put them down certain paths. Something you said before also resonated, that obviously if senior leadership is much more engaged and invested, there is a greater chance for success and impact. However, mm-hmm. oftentimes that's not the case as well, but yet very experienced leaders or, or the leaders who do get it, uh, regardless of, of the support that they get from above, they still take matters into their own hands and and approach developing their people The Right way, regardless. And I think it's important for leaders to understand that uh, you have a lot more power than you think you do. You make an impact, a significant impact on your employees lives, particularly on their careers.
1: Absolutely, and I'm really glad you brought that up because our focus has been so far on the importance of the top leader and you know his or her involvement in driving the process. But where that doesn't exist, and there are way too many places where that doesn't, your point is spot on. If you're in a position of authority, a leader, you have to lead, and that includes more than just driving the production numbers or whatever the business metrics are. Because if you don't attend to the people, their engagement, their development, their increasing ability to do their job well today and growing their preparation for whatever tomorrow is, you're not leading. You might be managing, you might be getting great current business results, but you're not leading.
0: Completely agree. You know, it, the other thing that I, I get asked a lot to or in my workshops, it's interesting, is what does employee development mean? And it's amazing how a lot of people will a lot of managers will talk about how it's developing towards uh, you know another career another position and it was refreshing to hear you say that yeah you know you have to tie it back to the business as well because and correct me if I'm wrong employee development is is not only that but it's also developing your employees in their current roles to help them get better at at their day-to-day
1: responsibilities capability. Absolutely, you know, and I kind of make a distinction, I don't know if a lot of people would agree with me, but I kind of look at performance management and talent management as two different sides of the same coin. Performance management, that setting of goals, that measurement of of performance, and that uh, creation and execution of development plans, that's focused on today. How am I doing in what is my current role? How am I doing in my current role? And what do I need to do to, to perform better in that current role? If we're not doing that for folks, we're we're doing them a disservice. It's our job as leaders to help people optimize their performance to the extent that they're willing. I mean, some folks, you know, sometimes you have challenges. But the other side of employee development is preparing them for the future. And if you just prepare for the future, you increase the likelihood that they're going to fail in the present, and they're never going to get to the future. So you know, one of the jobs of a leader is to properly resource people for success in whatever that mission is. And part of that is developing them, training them, if you will, to be successful today, to do well in the job responsibilities they have now and to do better today than they did yesterday in the current job. Some folks I've talked to says, you know, that's the difference between training and development. You know, we could argue semantics all day, but it kind of makes sense. Train me to better do what I do today and develop me to do something new tomorrow. And I can live with that. That's okay. But it's a huge point, huge Well, We get so focused on tomorrow that we just kind of forget today, and then you wonder why Johnny's not doing well today. The other thing we can do is prepare folks for too many possibilities. Years ago, we had an outstanding sales leader. This gentleman understood finance. He understood operations. He understood global networks. He was great with customers. He was great with investors. He could do it all. Guess what? We had nine different places, eight or nine. I don't remember the exact number, but multiple different places where people said, oh, he's a successor to this top job and that top job and that top job. We stopped and I kind of chuckled. I go, so which one are we going to pick? Because we're going to crush this guy with opportunity. So we have to be very mindful of where we're going with these folks. And back to your voodoo magic thing, folks sat in the room and said, well, we believe, uh, we'll just call him Fred. We believe Fred really ought to go to, we ought to prepare him for these two positions. Don't remember what they were off the top of my head. And we kind of sat there and all felt good about that and someone raised the question, I go, what's Fred wanna do? Maybe we're preparing Fred for something that Fred has absolutely zero interest. He may be great at it, but they don't wanna do it. So I came up with um, a little model that I use with folks and it's the the A's of talent development and succession. First A, do they have the ability to do what we think we want them to do in the future? Do they have the availability? Will they be ready to move from the job they're in when we believe we're gonna need that job filled. The next one is aspiration. Do they even wanna do it? If they don't wanna do it, we're gonna spend all this time, all this effort, all this money on preparing them to do something they don't want and two bad things, three bad things are gonna happen. We're gonna make Fred unsettled. He's gonna become disengaged because we're pushing him somewhere he doesn't wanna go. Or we're gonna have an open position. We won't have anybody ready to fill and we will have missed an opportunity to develop someone else that really aspired to that role. And then the final A that I use is agility. Is the individual agile enough to make all the moves he or she's going to need to make on the way? And is the organization agile enough to accept the move, accept the time away, accept the development and do all that. So ability, availability, aspiration, and agility.
0: Now, I think that's fantastic. I love the aspiration piece of it because as you were talking about the example and sharing that with us. That was the one question in my mind that you answered. Is Fred willing? Does he want that position? And I've seen this time and time again. It's unfortunate. Individuals get moved, high potentials get moved into roles that they don't want to do, never had any desire to do it. And obviously, you know, it is going to impact certain levels of their performance, not to say that they're going to fail at it, but they just may not be as engaged uh, or might not even be the right fit, and all of a sudden, these individuals get labeled as not good employees anymore. And I think mm-hmm. that is a terrible uh, loss to the organization because you have to sit back and say, who's who's fault really is that? How are they all of a sudden no longer high potentials?
1: Oh, absolutely. And you know, there's there's talk commonly about over promoting people, promoting people too soon. know we put them in a job before they're really ready and we stretch them too far and all of a sudden what you just described happened is you know we got a great performer at whatever level and we bumped him or her two or three seats and now all of a sudden we push them past their readiness that's over promoting but i think there's an issue of mispromoting and i think that's what you just described we put people in the wrong job think about this and i don't like to use too many sports analogies let's say you're a fantastic Offensive right tackle in the NFL. Are You going to go do ballet
0: or Dancing with the Stars? Right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> or there? You, wow. Well, you know, some of those guys have. <laughs> well, That's true. Yeah, it's a great point. But you know, I mean, you can't have a great soccer player being a great defensive end. Now it might happen, but now you're asking somebody to do something that they're not properly equipped for, maybe not interested in at all. And now we, and then we wonder, well, why did you know Sally all of a sudden become disengaged? and a lower performer. And
0: some take the position unwillingly, just out of fear of if they don't, their career is over anyway.
1: Have you ever seen where organizations back people into a corner? You've been a great account manager, and what we really need you to do now is to go into um, product development, because it's great for your to round you out in the future, and you know, quite frankly, the business needs it right now, and we're gonna throw a ton of money at you and uh, you're going to have this fantastic new experience and someday somewhere maybe it's going to prepare you for something even bigger and the person doesn't want to do product development they don't want to be in. you know they're hunter killers man they want to get out there and do that sale they want to meet that contact and they want to go out and drive that revenue production you put them in a lab to develop product with you know smart R and D people. Their head's going to explode. But hey, that's what we need. And you're really good over there, so you're probably going to be over good over here. Then we wonder why they're disengaged.
0: Yeah, and you know, and the other side of the coin too is that sometimes people move into the positions unwillingly, but don't realize that they actually are a good fit or that they do grow into the role and actually love doing it. There is that side of it too, which I think brings brings back to your point of how critical that individual's leader and the level of investment that leader has with that individual to know that, to be able to make that decision.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is part of the paying attention. Yeah. Um, If a leader is paying attention to the people, he or she may see something that the employee doesn't yet realize. And if they're truly paying attention to that person, they're gonna work with them to help them see that potential. They're gonna work with them to prepare them for success in this new role. And they're going to work with them to get them through the challenge and onto the potential that they really have, whether they know it or not. But that only happens if their boss, the person in position of authority, is really paying attention.
0: That goes back to the three Ps, position, priority, and paying attention. All right, well, I have one last question for you. So looking back at the very first team you ever took over when you became a leader, What do you wish you knew then that you know now?
1: Well, let me answer the question with a little bit of a story. I started my professional career as an Army officer. I spent 12 years on active duty. And way back in the day, when I was 22 years old, I started and reported to my new duty station and I'm ready to take over my first platoon, group of about 35 folks. Now the leadership chain in a platoon has an officer, a lieutenant, a platoon leader at the top, And right next to him or her is a platoon sergeant, an enlisted leader uh, who's been in for a while. I met my platoon sergeant. He had been in the Army longer than I'd been alive, and I'm getting ready to take over uh, the formation. The normal process is the platoon sergeant forms the group of 35, gets everybody ready, all lined up, looking spiffy. He does not about face and stands and waits until the platoon leader, the officer, comes in. The normal conversation is, all present or accounted for, sir. I render a hand salute, he hand salutes, and he goes to the back of the formation to take his post. I got up there fully ready, a little nervous. Platoon sergeant smiled, and his comment was, some here, others not, deal with it, Lieutenant. I choked. I didn't visibly respond. I saluted, told him to take his post. And I went about my business. Afterwards, we met up and I said, what was that? He goes, you didn't flinch. He said, if you pay attention and listen to me, I will make you successful. Because if you don't, I'll crush you. And we had a great relationship. He taught me stuff I never knew I needed to know. So the lesson out of all that for me was the success or failure of my career as a leader is only a little bit dependent on me. It's dependent on the people around me. And a leader, in my opinion, the lesson I took from this won't be successful if he or she can't engage well with the people around him or her. A little different way to answer your question, but that was an impactful lesson for me. And I've remembered it to this day.
0: That's a great story. Appreciate you sharing it with us. All right, well, Bill, I first want to thank you for your service to the nation. And I know you do a lot of work with veterans who are transitioning from the public sector into the private sector, which I think is fantastic work. And secondly, I appreciate you coming on and sharing some of your stories and expertise with us. We will also put all of your key takeaways in the show notes, such as your three keys to success, position, priority, and pay attention which I think is a very simple and yet very powerful approach. And if anyone's interested in working with Bill, perhaps you might have an interest in bringing him in to help establish a talent management strategy or even to bring him in as a keynote speaker. We will leave Bill's contact information in the show notes as well. Once again, Bill thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thank you, Rob. It's been an honor and a privilege to be here with you.
0: Thanks so much for listening in today. If you're interested in learning more about the show or how we can assist you through my leadership consulting company, then please visit my website at leadershipjamsession.com.